Hi there! This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the Word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's Word and the ministry of the Spirit. It's really, really a deep privilege to be here. <laughs> it's really, it's really, really a profound privilege to be here. I don't take it for, for granted at all, at all. You know, um, the the responsibility and the call to pastoring and to to teaching is very huge, and nobody can actually do it, you know, without the huge injection of spiritual ability by God Himself, you know, to understand and to and to teach God's word. And I do not take that for lightly for for granted at all. And so it's on the it's on the strength of that that i want to really appreciate god for this honor for this privilege uh, and for the ability and for the grace that he has given me um and given us in this house you know to to just uh, to 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 make residence in this house is lavish word and so we just thank god for that i thank god for that and on the back of that as well i also want to thank god for for our senior pastor you know, Pastor Dami is such a man that he puts high pressure, like he, he tensions the grace of God <laughs> to 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 bring forward and to milk out um, deep mysteries. You know, just for 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 because of his, his love for us, you know, for the people of God. And so I just want us to take a moment to you know appreciate you know our senior pastor and the the angel of God to us personally and specially. Um, Pastor Damilola Ogun today. Can we just can we just celebrate Pastor on the group? You know, like Pastor P said a few weeks back, that to know Pastor is to love him really. To know Pastor is to honor him. You you can't know Pastor at a level and not and not love him and not admire and respect and honor the man of God. He is a man of God <laughs> really. And so Pastor, I celebrate you, sir, um, and I honor you. You know, we honor you together. And let's also celebrate our pastors um pastor nonso that brought the word every duty word last week um pastor itoro uh pastor ay let's celebrate our pastors and let's just honor them you know for for laboring in the word in care uh and in prayers over us you know it's 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 a big work <laughs> it's not a small work at all we celebrate you sirs um and also the lxl i celebrate every member of the lxl as well and I also celebrate the members, you know, you know, one of the things I've come to realize in this house, you know, God has given us the prophecies and it's just beautiful how we see that prophecy unfolding is that we also, we actually have members that are leaders. Every member is a leader, you know, and it's just the way God told us by prophecy that, you know, the least in our house, you know, is going to be like David. And really, really, that's what we see. We see members, leaders. I mean, look at this is a, a Thursday evening and we see already 66 people gathered different places. So it's also a good time to celebrate you individually, celebrate yourself, you know, call out someone on the, on the group and just say, I celebrate you. Uh, I celebrate you. I celebrate you. I celebrate you for being a leader. I celebrate you for being a leading member and a Davidic representation of the PowerPoint tribe. I celebrate you guys. Um, hallelujah. Uh, let's, let's just bow our heads and, and pray. And just for two minutes, I just want you to speak in tongue, uh, other tongues. And I just want you to pray. 
and I want you to pray, and I just want you to bring your heart before the word of God. Bring your heart before the word. Bring your heart before the word of God. Like, like Minister Jumon led us to pray earlier that we do not have itchy ears. We present our, our heart before the word. We present our heart before the living word of God that is able to change, that is able to transform, that is able to you know deliver an inheritance, that is able to purify, that is able to deliver understanding. I present my heart before the word in the name of Jesus. I do not just come here with my head. I do not come here with mental accent. I have come with faith. I have come with faith to the word of God tonight. I have come surrendering my heart to, to the word. I have come surrendering my heart to be washed. I have come surrendering my heart to be transformed. I have come surrendering my heart to receive light and to receive inheritance. I have come with my heart. I have not come with my head. I have not come with my prejudices and premonitions and my assumptions. I have come open to receive from God himself. The Bible says that whenever we come together, it says that our fellowship is never with ourselves. It says that our fellowship is actually with God, with his son and with his spirit. There is a sharing, there is a koinonia, there is a sharing, there is a depositing, you know, and it's and it's not, it's God word, it's God to us word. It's not the other way, it's God to us word. There is a depositing, a sharing from God to us word. And so we are getting better for every time we come before the word. We are growing, we are getting better, we are being transformed. And so tonight would not be an exception. Tonight would not be an exemption. And in tonight, we're not excluded from the transformation that is sweeping across this virtual room tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We give you all the glory and we give you all the praise. We thank you, Father, for the lavishness of your word in our midst. We thank you, Father, because indeed your words are life. We thank you, Father, because your words are wisdom, they are heritage. Let the scent of your word, let the scent of the water of your word, let it spread across the room tonight. Lord, let it transform, let it empower, let it minister understanding, let it deliver inheritances, let it strengthen, let it assure, let it furnish, and let it encourage. Thank you, Father, for fruits that we begin to yield forth from our lives beyond after the hearing of this word. Thank you, Father, for abounding fruits and abiding fruits, fruits that are established and fruits that remain. Thank you, Father, because indeed we are we are edified we are strengthened and we are encouraged. In Jesus' mighty name, we've prayed. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Who is ready? Are we ready? Praise God. Are we ready? Hallelujah. So excited. So honored and excited and privileged at the same time. God help us. I am. So. Last week, Pastor Nonso took us on a, a deeply insightful exegesis on kindness, and it was really profound. I just want to confirm, can everybody hear me? Can we all hear me? I'm, I'm loud, audible, and clear. Okay, thank you. Thank you for the feedback. Okay, so Pastor Nonso led us you know, took us into a, a very, a, an exegesis on kindness. And one of the things he defined kindness as, or the primary thing actually he defined kind, kindness as, is cons kindness means consistently producing spirit-filled goodness, which meets needs and avoids human harshness and cruelty. So that, that's what he defined kindness as. And, and I hope that even as we listened last week, 
we started to sort of recalibrate our hearts, you know, in, in alignment with this definition and our Christian conduct as well, in alignment with this definition. Perhaps you've been, you know, you've been, uh, you know, maybe some of us have been conducting our Christian lives in a way that we exclude, you know, kind relations, you know, kind relations, showing charity and brotherly kindness. I'm sure that, you know, one of the assignments that we took back over the past week is to bring that back into your Christian conduct and into your Christian experience, where regardless of how, you know, how, 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 how loud, how deep we pray, how, how much we pray, you know, if it doesn't translate to us, um, if it doesn't translate to us showing the fruit of the Spirit, you know, in, in reality, then, then we have, we've actually not prayed enough. So I, I hope that was one of the assignments that we took back and we started to, as PD would say, operationalize. Glory to God. And he also said that kindness is a defensive mechanism to keep us in God. And he mentioned three ways um, to show kindness. And he says the first one is seeing people the way God sees them. And I think this is very, 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 very deeply profound. It's just seeing people the way God sees them. It's not seeing people from the lens of perfection or from the lens of a condemnation you know it's just seeing people the way god sees them and number two is showing empathy because i mean if you if you see people the way god sees them you will indeed show empathy to them you would because you know that every man is a work in progress you know and every man is also walking you know in their progress we get better and better daily and the last is also being compassionate like jesus being compassionate, showing compassion, you know, being compassionate, you know, and, and that for every time we saw Jesus show compassion in scripture, he didn't just show it in his heart. The Bible says he showed compassion and he did something, you know, he did something, he healed, he gave, he preached, he taught. Uh, and those were acts of Jesus's compassion, teaching, praying, giving, you know, healing. They were acts of his compassion. Praise the name of the Lord. And I'm sure we're blessed. Thank you so much, Pastor Nonso, for such for such a word, for such an instructive word. And so we're going to be continuing on the strength of that. And we're going to be starting again from, um, from the same verse, uh, Pastor Nonso stopped, and that's Romans 2, verse 4. And I want you to follow me very closely. Um, we have a long way to go. Uh, I would not say it's a convocation, but I will try to um, move, move, move well <laughs> and move, move fast. Praise God. So let's turn our Bibles to Romans 2, verse 4. Um, and so when we look at Romans 2, verse 4, what we see in Romans 2, verse 4 is actually, it actually starts with, it's actually a question. You know, Romans 2, verse 4, is a question that Paul was asking the Roman church. And he says that, or, you know, it starts like this, or do you despise the riches of his goodness um, forbearance and long suffering. He says, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. So that was the question that Paul was setting forward and putting forward to the Roman church that do you not know that do you despise the riches of his goodness, his forbearance, and his long suffering? Not knowing that the goodness or the kindness of God, as Pastor Nonso taught us last week, leads you to repentance. And you know. One of the similitudes we draw here from that from that question is really Paul was, was Apostle Paul was sort of showing us the two sides. It's like our lives as Christians is we have two sides to the coin. So the first is as Pastor also taught us last week, how that we have to show kindness, and the second is that so it's the outworking of your kindness, or as I would say, mercy, right, or goodness, the goodness of God is showing out the is is 
is portraying a, or living a life of the goodness or the kindness of God and showing it forward. There is also the inworking of the goodness and the kindness of God. And that's what, you know, that's what Apostle Paul was saying here, that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. He has to lead you to repentance. That the journey and the procession that Apostle Paul was setting forth here is that the goodness of the Lord must of a surety lead us to repentance. And really, it's that, you know how the Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians, I believe, you know, that we carry about the fragrance of God and that, that fragrance of Christ, you know, that fragrance of Christ to some people, it is life and to some people, it is death. And that is just the picture that this scripture is portraying, that the goodness of God working in my life leads me to different dimensions. It just continues to lead me to repentance. It just continues to it continues to give me a change of heart. It continues to broker like a change of heart in my life. I am my heart is continually changed, continually transformed. So beyond showing kindness, you know, outwardly, showing kindness to unbelievers, even to believers alike, he says, in my life, the goodness of God is leading me myself to repentance. And he says that by the time, if in any case, perhaps in a Christian's life, there there comes a time or an instance where the goodness of God is not leading you to repentance. He says that that means there is a despising of the riches of his goodness, there is a despising of his forbearance, and then there is a despising of his long-suffering. Hallelujah. So that's what Apostle Paul says there. That's, that's what he sets forward there, that there is the love of God in itself it has a balance. You know, it's, it's the mercy of God and it's the judgment of God. The mercy of God in this, in this context is comprising of his goodness or his kindness, his forbearance and his long-suffering. So the mercy of God, the love of God is balanced in that way. Is that number one, on one hand, he has the mercy of God. Where God is so good towards us, you know, his disposition to us is that he is good. His disposition is that he would wait, he's long suffering. And his disposition with us is that he will bear with us. He would not cast us away. But he says within that same breath, we cannot despise the goodness of God. We cannot rather just um, pitch our tent. You know, to accept the mercy of God within the context of the love of God is also to accept the judgment of God. It's also to accept the judgment of God. And most people, you know, misconstrue judgment. And most times when people when people think about judgment, the judge, whatever, what comes to mind is, you know, is, you know, the day of vengeance of our Lord, you know, where God is angry, God is fuming, you know, God is just bringing out fire and brimstone. But, 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 but judgment is not that. I mean, I think it's just looking at it from one lens. I was saying that, when you read again Romans 2 4, it says that, you know, the part B says the goodness of God leads you to repentance. And there in, in this portion of scripture, we see that Apostle Paul sets an order for mercy and, and judgment. So it's not, it's not uh, mercy and judgment, it's mercy then judgment. It's not, you know, how the scriptures, our Bible says that, you know, the mercy prevails over judgment. So mercy actually prepares us for the judgment of God. So mercy doesn't cancel out the judgment of God. It doesn't, it doesn't skip judgment. It doesn't cancel or annul judgment. It actually prepares us for the judgment of God. Mercy is sort of that preparation that ensures that when you sit down for the test of the judgment of God, you come out as past. It doesn't make you skip the test or skip the exam. No, it puts you in such a state that when you sit for the mercy, the exam of the judgment of God, you pass the test. 
you pass the judgment test of God. And, and the mercy that does that is actually the mercy that leads you to repentance. It's not the mercy that makes you, you know, the mercy that skips repentance or the mercy that annuls repentance or the mercy that, um, the mercy that neglects repentance or forgoes repentance. The mercy that prepares you for the judgment of God is the mercy that actually leads you into repentance, into a change of heart, into repentance. So mercy prepares us for the judgment of God. And mercy prevails over judgment because mercy leads us to lead us into repentance. Praise the name of the Lord. So when we look at um, the story of Jesus and the woman caught in, in the act of adultery in John 8 from verse 1 to 11, and I'll just read quickly because of time. I'll just read through quickly. Um, obviously, if you could just please help us put it up um, on the group. He says that from verse John verse John chapter 8 from verse 1, he says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. He says, Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought him brought to him a woman called caught in, caught in adultery. And when they had set her in their midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stood down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear them. And so when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said, If he who is without sin amongst you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And now when Jesus had raised himself up and saw that no one, no one, and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So one of the things, one of the, I mean, the, the primary picture that this story paints is the goodness of God at work. And, and also, you, you also see in that same verse, in that same scripture, the balance of the goodness and the judgment of God. Because you see that Jesus says, I do not condemn you. So I do not condemn you. Go on. I do not condemn you. You know, nobody else condemns you, but even me that has, I have the capacity to condemn you, I do not condemn you. But he says in that same breath, it's not just say, oh, I do not condemn you, be going. He says, I do not condemn you, go and sin no more. So you see that Jesus, he was, Jesus showed our mercy, but in that showing of mercy, in that same breath, he says, see, go and sin no more. Don't, don't, you know, don't go back to don't go back to what you were. Don't go back to what you used to do. As now that you've been forgiven, now that you've been washed, now that you've been, you know, redeemed as you were, as you are going, do not sin anymore. Do not sin anymore. And so let's start with the first phrase that Jesus said. He says, I do not condemn you. And, you know, consistent with what we learned last week, God does not condemn. He convicts. You know, the Holy Spirit doesn't condemn. He convicts. You know, one of the one of the things I, I shared I, I shared before is that there is a difference between condemnation and conviction. And at face value, both of them looks like remorse. You know, the person that is being the people that are both being convicted and conde condemned, they are remorseful. They are remorseful at face value. They are angry. They are probably frowning. They are probably sad. You probably see somebody take it a step further, maybe cry. That's what it looks like at face value. But on the back end, conviction works repentance and redemption but condemnation just works rebellion 
and how you see that play out is with time so you see that the person that is condemned with time they are they are rebellious and they continue in what it is that you have condemned them for or condemned them about but the person that is convicted with time the person repents and the person you see the person redeemed you see the person bought back and restored that's the difference so on the faith value it might be it might be that oh you know we're both we're both sad we're both crying but at the on the back end and with time you see a redemptive journey in the person that is being convicted and so the bible says that see the holy spirit doesn't say when the holy spirit comes it says it will come to convict the world of sin it will come to convict it would not it doesn't come at first to condemn it comes to convict and so if the holy spirit and god they don't condemn we do not have any reason to condemn we don't have any moral justification to condemn and one of the things i i just learned is that condemnation happens at the lapse of time so for example when you see when jesus said said to talk talk about the fact that you know um that jesus has not come to convict the world condemn the world that he has come that through him the world might be saved but he says that the only people that are condemned is the only people at the least at the lapse of time that at the lapse of time do not choose jesus so that the people that have condemned are condemned because they have by themselves chosen their their end and their judgment but he says that before that time nobody has the capacity to condemn anybody as long as there is still time as long as there is still tomorrow there is still next week there is still one more hour i do not have any reason i do not have any moral justice to condemn anyone i do not have any more any moral justice to say to anyone oh you know your life you know this is how your life this is how your life is going to turn out or this is that this is how bad your life now is you know there is no there is no you know there is no time or there is no there, there is no redemption for you anymore no as long as there is still time as long as there is still tomorrow there is still one hour there is still one hour left we do not have any moral justification as christians as believers to condemn any anybody praise god and the second bit here is you know go and say no more and that's where i want to rest um the contemplation this night that go and see no more and so it's within that same commandment or extension of mercy that you have the commandment of separation and of consecration where you are where 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 god is calling us or apostle paul is calling us to consecrate and to separate ourselves the mercy of god working repentance so i wanted to imagine with me that the the salvation experience is like a factory right and i mean this is a very very light comparison but we'll, we'll just take it it's like a factory and then at the beginning of the factory is the blood of jesus and that blood of jesus in it, it, it is in itself the lavishing of god's mercy and of god's goodness to us it's the blood of jesus and the bible talks about the fact that the blood of jesus buys praise god tell your neighbor say the blood of jesus buys the blood of jesus buys it buys us it buys us it translates us from darkness into light it buys us over so the blood of jesus buys us and hebrews 10 verse um, verse 4 and then 9 verse 11 says something says that for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins and 9 11 now says that he did not enter by the blood of goats and cows but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood 
thus securing eternal redemption. She says, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a haifa sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that their bodies are clean. She says, how much more with the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, purify our consciences from works of death so that we may serve the living God. So at the beginning of the factory is the blood of is the blood of jesus and the blood of jesus buys but the blood of jesus doesn't just buy and then leave you on the factory belt on the factory line what the blood of jesus then does to us is that the blood of jesus now hands us over to the next section of the factory belt and the next section of that factory belt exactly like the funnel yes minister tosin ex the 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 second belt of that factory line is the water of the word the water of the word so what I'm doing here is to explain how mercy works repentance, right? How mercy works repentance in our lives. So you start at the beginning of the factory line with the blood of Jesus that buys you out. But the blood of Jesus that buys you out and hands you over to the water of the word. And the Bible talks about the water of the word in Ephesians 5.25. It says, husband, love, you, love your wives, 25, and 25 to 27. It says, husband, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having sprinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Hallelujah. She should be holy and without blemish. So the, the, the blood of Jesus hands us over to the, the water of the word, and the water of the word washes us until we become a glorious church until you know he continues to wash us and wash us and wash us he continues to make us clean and clean and clean it's like it's like you know when, when you're washing rice so i know some i don't know if some people wash some people decide to wash rice in bits before they parboil or people just go ahead and parboil and after they parboil they wash but you know you wash the rice until maybe the milky water becomes a bit clear and then you then go ahead to parboil it. The water, the, the water of the word just continues to wash you. It continues to wash you until you are until we are presented to Christ, a glorious church, not having spots or wrinkle. So Jesus's desire is that the outworking or the show of God's mercy in the shedding of the blood of Jesus and the goodness of the Lord is that it brings us into a place, a posture and a position where we are continuously being washed by the water of the word until we become a glorious church, a church without spot or wrinkle. So we see here a picture of a church that Jesus has in mind. And the picture of the church that Jesus has in mind is a church without wrinkle, without spot, a church that is glorious. So Jesus being the purchaser of the body has a thought in mind that this body that I'm purchasing, having gone through this second part of the process, becomes glorious, becomes spotless, becomes is without wrinkle. So I want to present an analogy to you. So imagine that you go to, you know, Yaba, because I'm using Yaba because Yaba guys they have these blue lights that can be very confusing, you know. And you go to Yaba and say that you want to buy a white, maybe you're in Beckoners and they've called, they've called the, they've called a, uh, what's it called? They've called uh, a dress code and the dress code is white. You know, everybody's supposed to be wearing white. 
and they've called the dress code and so you go to maybe yaba and then you just go and pick you just go and pick a white shirt and you know when you bought it at yaba you were so sure that that shirt is that shirt was white or you you just saw you, you, were, you were sure that it was white or you were told that it was white but that it has a bit of stain and so your your own your own um assumption is as you're as you're getting home when you get home you wash it and then it becomes white and so let's imagine that you wash that, you get home, you know, you soak it in Ariel and you soak it in Ipo and you start to wash it. You know, you start to, I don't know how many of us have washed so much that your palm becomes red. You, you, you scourge your palm and your palm becomes so red. And so for every time you wash it and bring it up and you expect it to be white, you still see that it's brown. You still see that it's not, it's not clean. It's not clear. It's not white. It's, as you continue to wash it, you bring it up, you wash it for two minutes, you bring it up, you rinse it, it's still brown. You soak it again in, in Ipo and in Ariel. You wash it again. You bring it up and it's still brown. You soak it back again. You wash it again. You bring it up. It's still brown. I mean, at some point, you become annoyed. At some point, you become you feel like somebody has defrauded you or somebody has showed you a lie. Or maybe the Yaba blue light has, 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 confused, has confused us, has confused you. And you probably want to assume that you know what you bought is not is not a white material. What you probably bought is, in fact, a a brown material. And I'm so so. And is this same analogy that we see at play in the church, or in certain you know aspects of the church, or certain certain factions of the church today, is that we say that the blood of Jesus or the mercy of God has bought us over by the blood of Jesus. And the blood of Jesus has handed over us over to the word because the blood of Jesus is so potent to buy us over. So the blood of Jesus is the potent factor here, buying us over and handing us over to the word with an assurance of change, with an assurance of transformation. The Bible says in Hebrews 9, it says that he did not buy us with the blood of bulls and goats. God was sure of the blood that he put on the line. He was sure of the first, see, the first line of the factory belt. It was the security that God put in place. So God was sure that I am buying these people with the blood of Jesus, the precious blood. I am buying them with myself. So I know that there is that capacity in the blood to buy them over into full redemption. I know that there is that capacity. It's the blood of Jesus. It's not the blood of bulls. It's not the blood of goats. It's not the blood that, you know, that, you know, after a year, you have to come back to, to go back to the ground zero that you started from the year before. God was so sure about the blood that he, that he used to buy us. And then after buying us with that blood, he handed us over to the water of the world to wash us. But what you see at play in some factions of, you know, of the Christian community is is holding the blood of Jesus in contempt to say that, you know, the way I'm conducting my life, I am not showing that actually the blood of Jesus is potent enough to buy me over. I am not showing that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm now equating the blood of Jesus to the blood of bulls and goats. Because Hebrews actually, you know, enumerates the distinction between the blood of Jesus and the blood of bulls and goats. And it's the buying capacity of that blood. You know, the blood of bulls and goats is not, doesn't have that capacity to really buy us over. It just buys, it just, it just shocks us. It just gives us a shocker or just, I don't know, maybe refurbishes us. But the blood of Jesus buys us over. But the essence of the buying over by the blood is a presentation to the water of the word. 
It's the presentation to the water of the world. It's a presentation to the water of the world. And when we conduct ourselves in ways that we do not allow the mercy of God lead us to repentance, one of the things that we are telling God is that actually your blood is not sufficient to buy me over. You know, your blood is, your, I'm equating your blood to, actual, to an actual blood of a goat and an actual blood of a lamb. Your blood has not bought me. Your blood, there is still a part of me that is irredeemable by the blood, that is irredeemable by the blood of Jesus. And that's, I mean, that is already a lie. So the question is, as Christians, why sometimes do we find it easy or comfortable to live the lie? Because it's actually a lie. That for every time we refuse to continue in the journey of transformation into repentance, into change of heart, into growth and transformation in the word of God, we are actually living a lie. We are actually living a lie because nobody can come and say that the blood of Jesus is not sufficient. So it's already settled forever. Revelation says it. So we go to the end of scripture and the end of time. The Bible says at the end of time, it's already settled that the blood of Jesus is able and sufficient to redeem all men unto God. So there is already that premise set forth. We can't change it. But most times when we conduct ourselves so as to separate and to refuse the transformation of the word, what we are telling God is we are living a lie. We are not living our true identity and we are not living our true selves. Praise God. So God spent himself in buying us over. God spent himself in buying us over. And it's the expensive blood of Jesus. So the next question I then have is, if the blood of Jesus actually hands us over to the water of the word and to the washing of water by the word. Remember, it's, it's not a wash of water. It's not a washed as to assume a past tense. It's not a wash as to assume just a present tense. It's a washing of water by the word. It's a gerund. A gerund is a verb that is continually active until Jesus comes. That until Jesus comes, I continue to be washed by the water of the word until I'm presented glorious. That there is at some point for every time I come into an you know, I come, into, I come into some interaction with the word of God. There is a washing. There is a washing. There is a new level of glo glory I come into. There is a new level of glory I come into. There is a new level of honor I come into. Hallelujah. And there is a new level of spotlessness I come into. Hallelujah. So the next question I have, like I said, is how does the water wash? And where does the water wash? Remember, we are still on that phrase. The mercy of God leads us to repentance. The goodness of God. So he says that, remember, it's a question that Apostle Paul is asking. He said that, do you despise the riches of, God, of God's goodness, God's forbearance and his long suffering? He says, not knowing that the goodness of God is meant to lead you to repentance. is meant to lead us to repentance. Repentance meaning a change of heart. A change of heart. A continuous washing of the heart. So it's how does the water wash and where does the water wash? And when we read Romans 2 from verse 5 to verse 6, Bible says that, so we're reading, we're reading on now from, in, we're leaving verse 4 now. So I'm, I want to answer that question by reading verse 5 and verse 6. It says that, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath 
in the day of wrath and in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous government of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. So from verse five, Apostle Paul now starts to explain, you know, this this judgment, this judge character or this this judge side of God. You know, this judge side of God. He starts to layer on emphasis on on the fact that you know the goodness of God is supposed to lead to repentance, and that's because says there is a judge, there is a judge that sits over all of all these things, and that judge renders to each one according to his deeds. And you know, in my head, I'm, my head, I'm like, wait a minute. I thought you know God is good, God is forbearing, and God is long suffering, and that's where you see the balance of God's love play out again. Is that even though He is merciful, on the He doesn't all His mercy is. His merciful side does not deny his judgment side or his judge side. He will still judge, but the mercy of God that he, that he allows to go ahead of his judgment is to prepare us and to prepare every recipient of his judgment for, for a passing of the test. For, for yes, for a passing of the test. So the water of the word acts on the heart of man. That's where the water of God's word acts. He acts on the heart. And we'll see why he acts on the heart. So I now started to think about the scenario that we talked about of the washing of a white clothes that was now that refused to be washed, that refused to be, that refused to be clean. And I now started to think about that. What if actually, you know, I, I'm frustrated that the that the fabric I'm washing is not becoming white, even though it's I know it's white. But what if the reason why this fabric is not white after having been maybe dirty or modded is because there is a coated nylon substance over that over that cloth that prevents the water, the aerial and hypo mixture from touching the cloth. So I am putting the I'm dipping the cloth inside water. I am washing the I'm washing the cloth, but the cloth is not getting white. And I have then realized that the reason why the cloth is not getting white is because there is there is a film, maybe a nylon film, uh, over that cloth that is preventing the aerial and hypo mixture from actually touching the water. And that's what, what that's what Apostle Paul is trying to explain here: that there is a condition of the heart that rejects rejects the action of the water of the word. He says, he calls it the hardness and the impenitence of the heart. And he says that what that hardness and impenitent heart does or avest is wrath. Praise God. So there is a kind of heart that the water of the word of God must meet to create repentance, to create change, to create change. There is a kind of heart. And we have a responsibility to present that heart before the word. Hallelujah. So Apostle Paul began to talk about the impenitent heart. And the, so I, I just started to think about what's the opposite of an impenitent heart. And that's, the, an impenitent heart is a heart that is hard. And the opposite of that is an impressionable heart. A heart that comes to the word, willing to be impressioned by the word of God, willing to be willing to be superimposed by the word of God. And one of the things that cause hardness of heart, where you we come to the word of God, you know, and 
it might not be a perpetual posture of the heart. It might just be a posture at a particular point in time that, you know, I'm, I'm just hard-hearted. I am hard-hearted. Because when we think about the wrath of God, the day of wrath, the day of judgment, we tend to postpone, we tend to think in a sense where we postpone it, that, oh, it's until the end of time when everything is, everything, you know, Jesus has come for a glorious church and that's when, that's when this day of judgment will happen. But no, the pastor was teaching us, when he was teaching us about rocky wisdom, how that one of the things that we pray for, one of the things that come is crisis so that he helps us to evaluate where we stand. Crisis, so that we can evaluate where we stand, where we stand. And so sometimes the judgment, the day of judgment of the Lord and the day of wrath or the day of judgment, to put it in a lighter way, is not really an end of day, an end of time. Sometimes the day of the judgment comes in cycles and circles to help us evaluate because the day of judgment is actually very, it's very impartial. It's very non-sentimental. It's not sentimental. It's not emotional. So it's not, and it, remember, it's not really just coming to condemn. It's coming to convict. Praise God. So the water of God's word washes the heart. That is the action of the water of God's word. But we have the responsibility to present our heart to the water of God's word. We have a responsibility to present an impressionable heart to the water of God's word. And I'm going to be sharing with us just five differences between an impenitent heart and an impressionable heart. And the first difference is an impenitent heart or a hard heart decides on its action before, it, before it encounters with the word. So before I have come to, I come to the word, I come to read the Bible, I come to you know, I come to listen to a message. I come to see it in the company of believers, listening to a message. I have decided before time what I will do. I have decided. I have just decided that this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to respond. I'm not going to. I have, I have decided on my action before I encounter the word. I do not give the word of God the free, the free hand to change my actions, to make me change my heart. To make me change, I have not given the word of God that free hand. I have decided that even if I'm reading today, whatever I'm reading today would not have any action whatsoever. So the Bible says in the book of James that, you know, that this is not the way of the blessed man. He says this is not the way of the blessed man that goes to behold himself in a mirror and he goes away, straight away forgetting what manner of man he was. He says that's not the way of the, the blessed man. That's not the way. So an impenitent heart decides on its action before, before it encounters the word. However, an impressionable heart doesn't come to the word of God with any premonitions or, or prejudices. So it's like I am entering into the tent of the word of God. And as I enter, just like you find that people you know, put off their slippers, I put off my premonitions and my prejudices. And peradventure, I even carry it into the tent of God's word. I conduct myself in such a way that at the moment where I read something in the word of God, at the moment where the water of God's word presents something to me, I am willing and malleable enough to change in response to that word. That's the first difference. The second difference is that an impertinent heart, or penitent heart, is a seared heart. So it's a heart that is seared by past experiences. It's a heart that is shared by other people's experiences, leading to bitterness and resentment. 
is a heart that is shared by hearts by past failures so i am my heart is, my heart is adding because i have gone through something before that makes this scripture unbelievable to me that makes this scripture unacceptable unacceptable to me i am i have i've gone through and some people i mean for those people i can i sympathize with and i, I just ask you to go again don't don't close your heart to the word of god because of what you've gone through in the past don't close your heart to the word of god because of the hearts that you've been through the fact that you believed god but it, it didn't it, you know somehow it seemingly did not come through for you don't close your heart to the word of god the second camp of people within the same category is people that are shared by other people's experiences so somebody tells you something and it's on the premise of what somebody else tells you that you refuse to believe the word of god and it's not just the word of god that you're reading in the bible the word of god that comes through in the in the assembly of the saints you refuse to believe the word of god because of somebody else's experience so somebody you know you, you get taught something and then you say oh no i'm not accepting it i say why are you not accepting it oh you know because i because this is what shade went through and because shade went through this is what happened to her and so me i'm not going to accept i'm not going to listen to this no don't be shared by other people's experiences don't be shared by past hurts or failures so you find people deciding that you know i want to deconstruct my faith i'm not believing god anymore i am you know i am going back i am i am i am i'm backsliding from the christian faith not because not because yeah because i've gone through something in my past and that's why you know carrying on and carrying on the fragrance of god is so important and not just condemning people unjustly is also very important because some people are actually carrying on some people are actually carrying on shared hearts that have gone through something before i've gone through something i believed god and i i was faithful to god i i trusted god i was i believed in god but something happened to me and that thing that happened to me i didn't forgive myself and i didn't now forgive the word of i didn't just i didn't just accept the word of god anymore and you know one of the things that just struck me right now is you know how the bible says again in first or second corinthians you can please check is that you know, he said that we go about carrying the fragrance of Christ. And it's such that my I'm carrying an impressionable heart to go and light up and change somebody whose heart is impenitent to impressionable because of the way I carry about the goodness and the kindness of God. I do not condemn anyone. Praise God. So some people's hearts are impenitent because it is shared, shared by past experiences, shared by other people's experiences, shared by hearts, shared by failures. But an impressionable heart is a simple heart. It's simple. It doesn't. It, it doesn't mean that the the person is irresponsible with with um with things that they go through, or the person like Yoruba would say, konirono, or the person cannot. The person, the person, just, the person is just very simple. You know, in the way some people will like, you know, take simplicity as not a compliment, as sort of like a like an abuse or yeah, but. The simplicity of our heart in the word of God is such that regardless of what happens to me, I present myself before the water of the word and I believe the word again. I believe again. I love the church again. Whatever it is that has happened to me, praise God, because of time, let's move fast. The third thing is an impenitent heart is isolated and indifferent. So the person is indifferent to the word of God. The person is indifferent to the assembly of saints. Like, 
person doesn't just care. Like I'm indifferent. I, I can't be moved. I can't be bothered. I can't be. I can't be bothered. I can't be moved. The word of God doesn't elicit any sort of any sort of reaction, any sort of anything. I just keep my heart straight, poker faced. You know, at the encounter of the word. No, an impressionable heart is open and inspired. Always inspired by the word. You know, regardless of how many times you've gone through believers class, you come into another believers class and there is a word for you. Regardless of how many times you've heard Romans 1 verse 5 preach, you hear it again preached and you are open and you are inspired by it. That's an impressionable heart. Regardless of how many times you've heard the Christmas message and the message of Easter, for every time it is preached to you again, you are inspired by it. You are inspired. You are, in, you are always inspired by the word. Even if somebody tells you just two words, just two sentences, you say, mm. you are always inspired by the word of God. The first thing is that an impenitent heart comes to the word of God with a standing posture. He comes to the word of God standing, like I'm standing, like me and God, we are mates. Like, what God, what do you want to tell me? An impressionable heart comes to the word of God bowing. Number five, an, imp an impenitent heart reacts to the word. So, you know, you see how the Bible says, talks about in the parable of the sower, how that, you know, th th some hearts hear the word and they just rejoice. They are shouting. They are rejoicing. An impressionable heart doesn't just react to the word. He also responds to the word. And to respond to the word is to do the word. So for every time you hear the word of God, yes, you're inspired. Yes, you're excited. But what you take home is a to-do list. Is like pastor will talk about. You're not just carrying about. We're not just carrying about actionless dreams. What you take away from the word of God is a to-do. What can I do today? What can I do today? Praise God. So those are the five differences between an impenitent heart and an impressionable heart. And it goes without saying that we need to present an impressionable heart to before the word of God. You need to present a heart that is inspired, that is open, that is simple. You know, that doesn't hold grudges against God, against the church, against believers. That is free of any form of impurities. A heart that is free of premonitions and prejudices. And a heart that is not just inspired by the word, but that also, uh, that doesn't just react to the word, but also responds to the word. And a heart that comes to the word of God bowed. Not a heart that comes to the word of God standing. I should say that me and God, we are, we are mates. Right, and another thing I want to say here when we talk about the water washing of water by the word of God is that you can't pick and choose the slant of God's word that you want to be responsive to. So the Bible says that the word of God is profitable for instruction, for reproof, for instructions in righteousness. You can't pick and choose the slant of God's word. So some people like the prophetic part of God's word, but we don't like the, the instructive part of God's word. You don't like the hammer of God's word that will break you. You only like the, 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 the part of the word of God that will just massage your, your desires. You don't like a word of God that would exchange your own desire for his own. You only want the word of God that will service your desires. No. The company of Christians that God is looking to create and the glorious church that Jesus is looking to see is a church that is surrendered to his desires. And so we cannot pick and choose the slant of God's word. To say that I am dull to one expression of God's word is to dull myself to the other expressions of his word. Because we, the, God's word is a conversion to flesh. There is a body correlate to every word of God. There is a body correlate. For every time we hear the word of God, there is a body correlation to it. And by body correlation, I mean action. For every time I hear the word of God, there is a to-do list. 
There is a to-do list. And, and the Bible talks about the fact that there is a glory that comes from the word of God. In John 1, how that the word of God became flesh and men behold the glory, the glory as, the, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And glory doesn't just come from just studying the word of God or just being re reactive to the word of God or just being excited to the by the word of God. The Bible says that word of God became flesh. And so glory comes from the fact that we do the word. The word of, we embody the word and we become flesh with the word of God. Hallelujah. So, some people say, oh, no, no, you know, I respond to prophecy. Oh, you know, I, I respond to prophecy, but, you know, that instruction that, you know, pastor just gave me is too hard. Like, why would pastor say that? Why would pastor say that? You know, when pastor says, oh, you know, amazing things are happening, breaking forth. We are excited. But one pastor says that don't do this tomorrow. It's wrong. We don't take that as correction. We don't take that as reproof. So if our hearts are shared to reproof, then we also deactivate the instructions aspect. And we also excuse ourselves from prophecies because the word of God is a bouquet. You know, we can't pick and choose the slant of God's word that we want to be responsive to. And once we are unresponsive to a slant, we become dull to the other expressions of the word of God. And so lastly, so that's, 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 yeah. So when we think about the heart and why is it the heart that we are presenting before the water, washing of water by the word of God? Why is it the heart that we are bringing forward? And it's because the book of Proverbs says that we should guard our hearts with all diligence because really out of it flows the issue or issues of life. And that's why you begin to understand why, why God was saying that in Romans 2, verse, uh, verse 5 to 6, through Apostle Paul, that, you know, what does, what does hardness and impertinent heart have to do with, you know, who will render to each one according to his deeds? How does it connect? But the Bible says that, you know, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flows the issues. So the issues of life and the way you conduct your life, God is backwardly integrating that to say that it starts from your heart. It starts from your heart. It starts from either a negligent heart, a, a consciously hardened heart, or a, a negligent heart, which is also added. You know, he says, guard your heart because out of it proceeds the flows and the issues of life. And so the last place where we want to talk about, and I believe I'll be able to close that, round that off within the next four minutes, is that we want to talk about the day of judgment. And that's where we really rest our discourse today because if God is saying through Apostle Paul that we need to guard our heart because out of it flows the issues of life, and that's really where God is judging. God is judging at the point of issues, not at the point of heart. He's judging at, at, the, at the point of judgment, at the point of deeds, at the point of issues, at the point of the outflow and outworking of the posture of our heart. Right? So how does really, really this, this judging work? Right? And I'm just going to be reading um, 7 to 11. Just permit me, sorry. Eternal, it says, uh, eternal life, to continue the breath from verse 6, Eternal life to those who by patience continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish, and every soul who does evil of the Jews first and also of the Greek, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It says, for there is no partiality with God. And I had said earlier that most people have a wrong assumption of the judgment process and they easily just, you know, equate judgment to condemnation. But the essence of judgment is actually conviction. It's, it's, God, judgment is not just a mere sentence. It's actually based on a test. It's based on a test. Praise God. And God is the one that 
presides over the day of judgment and that's why the only is the only one that has the capacity to judge just like pastor Nonso told us last week he says we cannot judge we cannot really judge and so that's why you know apostle paul says that you know see don't just go and loosely be judging people don't just go and loosely be judging men you are not we are not in the you know and i, I sort of when i when i read this i was like mm, uh, so we can't judge men okay what are the judges i don't know that. well the judges were 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 uniquely anointed for the for for that role to be a judge but we are not god hasn't committed the judgment of men into into man praise god i hope you understand that the bible says in first corinthians 2 verse 15 it says that he that is spiritual judges all things he says yet he himself is judged by no one so really a spiritual man is not judged by another spiritual man what a spiritual man does is to judge all things but hebrews now talks about the fact that god is the one that stands as the judge of all god judges both things and he judges men he judges all things and so god is the only one that has that capacity to judge and the day of judgment derives its qualities from god as a judge so the last thing i just want to talk about is what makes god the judge what makes god the judge the first thing is the attitude and how does the how does the the attitude of the day of judgment what qualities does the day of the does the day of judgment derive from god if you understand what i mean and the first thing is that the day of judgment is impartial the day of judgment doesn't say oh because you are it doesn't look at your son name oh that because this one is named after god regardless of what the person does you know we are going to allow the person to pass the test because this person is son named by god no it's impartial to son names and that's what the bible says to the jews first and even to the greeks it's impartial to your son name yes you may be son named by god and jesus but if you do not do it judges the deed it's impartial number two the basis of judgment is an exhaustive body of knowledge regarding what you're judging regarding what you're judging and so that's why would say that don't judge a man because you really don't know the extent of the man's history and the man's past so don't i mean you can judge things but don't don't loosely just go we don't loosely go around judging men because god is the only one that has the exhaustive body of knowledge concerning men things their codependencies everything and so he can sit from that place to come to to yeah to to judge praise god and the last thing a judge looks at is present history and facts a judge looks at facts it just looks at deeds a judge looks at what has been done a judge doesn't just stay at the realm of intention you know, remember if you go to court it doesn't just stay at the realm of intention did this person do it do you have proof that this person has done it praise god so the day of judgment asks us to present the transactions of our heart which is evidenced in the flows and the issues of life and the way we conduct our lives that the 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 outworking and the proof of a repentant heart is what that heart does is what the is where the leg goes is what the hand does is what the eye sees is what the mouth speaks is what the ear ears that's the proof of a repentant heart it's the trans they are the transactions of the heart transactions what is our leg where is our where are our legs going what are our hands doing what are our mouths saying what are our eyes seeing what are we beholding with our eyes and what are we hearing with our ears that's the proof of a repentant heart and that's the outworking of the lavish mercy of god praise god 
that the deeds of our bodies are a result of mature thought. Apostle James was talking about you know, the evolution of, of lust from desire to sin. He starts from the heart and then he ends up in sin. He ends up in sin. So the day of judgment actually assesses the extent to which our heart is washed by the word of God by evaluating that the deed that our heart produces. And lastly, the, the Apostle Paul began to say that every deed done has a reward component. Every deed done. There is no deed that is without a reward component. And to do a deed and to ask God to not, or to do a deed and to refuse the reward component is not following the equation through. So if you want to see a reward, backward integrate and say, where is the deed component of that reward? And he goes ahead to say that when we, through patience, con patient continuous, con continuance, do good, we seek glory, honor, and immortality. We seek glory. We seek glory. Remember what we said about when you do, you know, when you do the word of God, glory, at, do, glory doesn't just end at study, it ends at doing. So when we pursue patience continuance or we through patient continuance do good, what we receive as reward is glory, honor, and immortality. And this is to encourage somebody that you are already doing good. Don't, don't remove your hand from the plow. Don't look back. The, the, the adjective or that description, patience, continuance, is something that describes doing good. So when you are doing good, you need to combine it with patient, patience and consistency. That's what God expects. And you need to be patient in doing good and you need to be consistent with it. Be patient and be consistent. And that's why we have the help of the Holy Spirit to help us to patiently and continuously do good. Even as we address glory, honor and immortality. But it says that when we come to the word of God with disobedience and self-seeking, when we stand before the word of God, when we come to God's word with our prejudices and premonitions, he says that what we really averse is anguish and tribulation. And obviously, this is not our portion in Jesus' name. But the encouragement I have for us is that the path of goodness requires patience and consistency. And it's like I told, uh, we were saying at Pillars Park, you know, some, some last week, um, and this is where I'll stop, is that sometimes it can start as you are weird. It can start as your own is too much. It can start as you are, fine, you are, you are behaving like you're holier than thou. It can start as, okay, where is your God? Where is your God now? Is it you that you are keeping pious life? You know, you are going to church, you know, you know, consistently you are attending service where is your god well you know where, where is your god here he can start as that but trust me he ends in salvation he ends in people asking you and holding your skirt and saying that take me to your god show me this your god show me what show me i want to see this your god i want to see him i want to see him take me to where he is so tribesmen be encouraged through patience and continuance, continue to seek doing good. Continue to seek to allow yourself be transformed by, and allow yourself, your heart be washed by the water of the word of God. Continue, don't allow any prejudice, any premonition, anything rob you of the transformation that awaits you at the feet of God's word. Hallelujah. And I pray that even as we present ourselves before the word of God, we continue to receive that crown of glory and that crown of honor and even that crown of, we wear immortality as a cloak 
even now 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 right now in this present day and and in the hereafter in jesus name amen and amen are you blessed hallelujah wow what a word for more messages connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at powerpoint tribe